A good morning to you on this Thursday. Ryan Jesperson here, Sam Brooks, Sarah Hoyles. This episode of Real Talk is presented by the team at Bitcoin Well. You can find them online at the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. This is the team that I trust personally to help me make sense of uh, Bitcoin, the, the blockchain, Ethereum, cryptocurrency writ large. This is the group that I go to real live human beings that take my questions that don't make me feel stupid and that give me the confidence that when I'm buying Bitcoin, I'm doing it safely and I'm doing it in a way that's, well, if I have any checks and balances that I need, they're going to be able to point me in the right direction. I'm never telling you to buy Bitcoin. I'm telling you, if you do, if it's the right move for you, I recommend Bitcoin well. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Coming up in just a second, uh, Matthew Behrens will join us. He's an advocate for Helen Naslin. You may be familiar with the story. Yesterday, the Alberta Court of Appeals slashing the prison sentence that had originally been handed down a woman who shot and killed her abusive husband back in 2011. Uh, the court calling this and, and yesterday the ruling. And I know that that our guest, Matthew, will have a lot to say about this. Uh, the sentence originally 18 years, a result of outdated thinking. We're going to get into that story in just a second. I'm curious to know how you feel about it. I mean, this is what shows like real talk are meant to do. These are the types of conversations we need to have uh, conversations that can get down into the uncomfortable elements of discussions about what we expect from human beings that are in life threatening circumstances in many circumstances for more than years uh, for, for what would feel like an eternity. Somebody subjected to abuse mental, physical, and otherwise. And ultimately, what do we as a society expect them to do with regards to saving their own lives? That conversation coming up in just a second. In about 10 minutes, I'm going to talk to Dr. Tyler Black. Uh, he's a child and adolescent psychiatrist. He's uh, put out some interesting material on the uh, mental health impacts of this pandemic. And in particular, as we sit now in a fifth wave I feel like I've lost count, but I'm pretty sure we're in a fifth wave right now. What are we concerned about with regards to the longer term impacts on young people, on our young learners, our students? What about the kids that are at home with mom and dad that aren't out socializing as they may normally be? What's on the minds or what's on the radar of psychologists, psychiatrists and mental health professionals that have committed their careers to working with the youngest members of our society. Dr. Tyler Black coming up in 10, maybe 15 minutes. And then later on in the show, I'm looking forward to this conversation. This kid is 12 years old and he's already got the country talking about his project. Wyatt Sharp is his name. And you may have heard him asking questions on media availabilities. He's talked to Canadian premiers. He's talked to the prime minister. He's talked to the leader of Canada's official opposition and many others. He's host of the Wyatt Sharp Show. He writes a newspaper column on the side. Uh, maybe he goes to school, too. I'm not quite sure. Do his parents give him chores at home? I have no idea. I would imagine. But the future is bright, or you may even argue the future is now for Wyatt Sharp. And he's going to be joining us in just a couple of minutes. Very much looking forward to that. Before we get to our first conversation, I want to quickly remind you that the team at Park Power is powering our hashtag today. We're going to be keeping an eye on it. Real Talk RJ. If you're on Twitter or for that matter, on Instagram, and you want to make sure that your message is seen by us. You want to talk about what you're hearing on the show. Make sure you use the hashtag RealTalkRJ. Park Power is your friendly local utilities provider. With electricity, natural gas, and internet, you can compare rates right now today at parkpower.ca. It's never been easier to bring your business over to Park Power. And when you do, 
You can do so with the confidence, knowing that not only are you getting great service, but you're also helping out in the community. They take 10% of their proceeds from electricity sales, and then they plug them back into the community by way of nonprofits that you can choose on their website. I love how they do it at Park Power. Also, a big shout out to our friends at Local Environmental Services coming up tomorrow on the show, Trash Talk, presented by Local Environmental Services. And uh, well, this is going to be a unique one. Before I get into the Trash Talk, let me remind you that for more than a quarter century, the team at Local Environmental has been family owned and keeping it local with commercial industrial and construction waste and recycling collection in Alberta and Saskatchewan. We encourage you to consider them. If you're taking your business somewhere, take it to local waste. We're proud to do business with them and have been since this show first launched. Now, before we get to our first interview, I had to read this from Tanya. Now, Tanya recognizes that I am, of course, hosting the show from home. And so I wanted to get to her email because I was musing yesterday, uh, kind of wondering how I'm going to pull off trash talk. You know how this goes. It's five minutes. It's 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 cathartic for all of us. We, we I blow off your steam for you. You send me these emails, these rants, and I read them. And of course, everybody loves it. It's a big Friday tradition. But I've got a six-year-old upstairs in his bedroom. I'm home right now. You know, we have an active COVID case in our house. I was telling you that. Uh, Sarah Hoyles, the editorial producer of this show, she's working from her home. I'm working from my home. Sam's in the studio. And I can't be, quite frankly, dropping 15, 20, 25 F-bombs with a six-year-old upstairs. I mean, these are all the words that we tell them. These, these, these are words that are not appropriate for kids. These are words that are, I taught him, crude. So Wyatt, Wyatt knows the word crude now. He says, well, daddy, I've heard you say, he said, I heard you say the F word on trash talk. I said, Wyatt, you're right. And it's crude. And so I'm wondering, how am I going to pull off trash talk from home? And, and Tanya wrote in to say, first of all, she says, I have an idea uh, to keep trash talk Wyatt friendly this week. She says, but let's put the onus on real talkers to keep it clean. Use like Flanderisms, you know, Ned Flanders. She says like, like diddly and widdly and then try some beeps and bops. And she says, maybe you could go all Rose Nyland with like H-E double hockey sticks or use Nordic words or whatever. We can work together and we can keep it family friendly and we can have some fun doing it. Tanya, I think that's a great idea. So, so that's what we'll ask you to do. We'll ask you to keep your trash talk Wyatt friendly, family friendly this week. And we'll do our first ever edition of family friendly trash talk. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to the challenge. So you can send us your emails. You've still got 24 hours, 25 hours, in fact, to get those to us to talk at ryanjesperson.com to get whatever you need off your mind, off your mind. All right. So we have fun on the show in circumstances like that. And and then oftentimes on this show, we we talk about the most serious subject matter. And this next story certainly qualifies. You may know the name Helen Naslin. For many years, she survived abuse at the hands of her husband. That is until one night as he slept, uh, to put it plainly, she put a bullet in his brain. You have to assume to save her own life. One of her sons assisted her in disposing of the body back in March of 2020. She pleaded guilty to manslaughter. And in October of that year, she was sentenced by the Alberta Court of Queens bench to 18 years for her actions. Alberta's top court, the appeal court, the court of appeal yesterday, slashing that sentence, uh, calling the 18 year term a result of outdated thinking. Our lead off guest today is a writer, an editor, and a longtime community organizer uh, living in Perth, Ontario. He coordinates the group Women Who Choose to Live. Matthew Barron's joining us. Matthew, a good morning to you. How, how did you get involved in, 
in Helen Naslin's advocacy. Can you take us back? Well, I, I first read about her case about four years ago when I reached out to Helen's then lawyer with a letter saying, I'd like to work with you. Um, and based on the facts that I've seen about your case, I think you have a very strong case for self-defense. And there's a long string of precedents uh, for women who have been in your shoes that need to be considered. My concern was, you know, did she have a lawyer who was aware of this kind of stuff? And I approached this as someone who started getting involved in issues around ending male violence against women after the Montreal massacre. And ever since then, I've learned a great deal about um, women's lives, uh, working with women in women's shelters, and learning about the incredible challenges that women like Helen have faced that are often not recognized, not only by the general public, but also not by members of the judiciary as well, where their lives are then going to be put in place for judgment. So take us into your thoughts when, when you're heading in uh, I mean, ahead of the decision yesterday, I know I know that many people uh, had been advocating for Helen Nasland. And, and, and that's not even to say, Matthew, where the court of public opinion landed on this one. I don't I, I have anecdotal evidence for you and nothing more. But I'll tell you that virtually everybody I spoke to said that if they were judge and jury on this one, Helen Nasland would have walked free uh, from the outset heading into the decision yesterday. Where were you at? And when you heard it, that sentence slashed. What did you think? Well, I think it was great that the sentence was cut by 50%. Uh, I wish that it had been reduced actually to time served because I don't believe Helen should spend another day behind bars, especially given the fact that she spent 27 years of her life uh, in a prison, in, in a dungeon, literally. And, you know, I work a lot with refugees and, and torture survivors. And when I, you know, learned about what had happened to Helen over all those years, as well as to her kids, I thought I was reading an Amnesty International report from someone coming out of a torture chamber in Syria. So I was quite nervous about um, the decision. But when I read it, uh, two things occurred to me. The first is this is a really important decision because what it does is it indicts the judicial system by saying after 30 years of education, of outreach, of women sharing their stories, of parliamentary inquiries, of press coverage, of all this, there are still members of the judicial system who don't get it when it comes to outmoded and stereotypical thinking when it comes to battered women who are forced to kill their abusive spouses in order to live. Let, um, me, my, let me ask you this, yeah. though, Matthew, because you know that you're going to get people that are saying, but, but hang on a second. We have checks and balances. We mm -hmm. have law enforcement. We have that judicial process. We mm -hmm. can't set up a situation where people take the law into their own hands and whether it's to save their lives or not. You can't have people walking up to others while they sleep and, and, and putting one behind their between their ears. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? I mean, there are going to be people saying uh, this woman took justice into her own hands. What What's your response to that? Well, I think uh, we have to step back from that direct question and ask the broader question is, what is the context in which this occurred? Um, if there had been options available to Helen, which there weren't, uh, perhaps this wouldn't have happened uh, in, in the way that it did. In fact, uh, Justice Greckel, who wrote the majority decision in yesterday's uh, court ruling, actually said, um, the original sentencing judge was wrong. He erred in saying that Helen actually had options. We got a support letter from the Camrose Women's Shelter, which was very clear in saying we do not have enough resources. There are two police officers per every thousand residents. Um, if someone's life is at risk, 
do they have to wait an hour and a half in the hope that the police are going to show up and save them from someone who's threatening to kill them? Um, in Alberta in 2019, which is the latest statistics that we have, as you're probably well aware, uh, over 10,000 women and kids have had to use battered women's shelter services. Twice as many have been turned away. So, A, if you even know about those services existing, and Helen wasn't really aware of those either, um, you're really trapped, especially in a rural area where it's even more dangerous for women. It's 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 important to mention, I think, Matthew, as well, that that Helen, uh, who had married young at 19 years of age, had repeatedly uh, attempted to leave. She survived, as a matter of fact, uh, suicide attempts, at least one. I mean, this was a, a journey for her that had extended over a number of years. And I think it was very telling that at least one of her sons, uh, Neil, uh, assisted her in, in in certain processes through these, and I know that you and other advocates are hoping for a for a review of his sentencing as well. Can, can you talk to us about the bigger family picture here? Neil's not the only son. Uh, no, there 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 were three sons, and uh, I am uh, working and and have become friends with Neil and and his brother Wes, and uh, they're both great guys, and it's amazing that they have grown to be adults and they have chosen not to carry on the legacy of intergenerational violence uh, that they saw from their father and experienced from their father. A lot of the violence um, that Helen experienced was actually taking blows to prevent the uh, the father from beating up on these kids. And uh, both Neil and Wes have been through uh, war zones um, in the same way that kids in Syria or Afghanistan have been through war zones. They have experienced uh, direct physical brutality. They have experienced psychological and emotional violence as well. Um, and so, you know, they're out there just trying to live their lives as best they can. Neil was thankfully released on parole. And uh, that's something that we certainly hope is going to be uh, the case for Helen as well. You've you've done a lot of good work, Matthew, and people can check it out online if they want more background or if they'd like more insight into this story. Uh, maybe in what the time that we have together doesn't allow for, they can check out Women Who Choose to Live dot blogspot dot com. That's women who choose to live dot blogspot dot com. Uh, talk to us about this book that you're holding, putting trials on trial and yes. defending battered women on trial. I would love it for the dissenting judge in yesterday's ruling to actually read these books because the dissenting judge in yesterday's ruling had the audacity to say he could not conclude from the facts that were available to the sentencing judge that Helen suffered from battered women's syndrome. And these two books are incredibly important. Elizabeth Sheehy's Defending Battered Women on Trial. Sheehy was actually an affiant in the court who presented expert uh, information to show that the range of sentences for women like Helen were actually anywhere from suspended sentences and probation to uh, up to six months in prison. And we actually had those cases before the, the uh, Alberta Court of Appeal. And that's why, in part, we're disappointed that we didn't see uh, a lesser sentence. This book, Putting Trials on Trial, is an excellent examination by uh, Elaine Craig, which actually looks at the way that the judicial system continues to fail women on a daily basis. And we're not just talking judges and crowns, we're talking defense lawyers, we're talking paralegals, we're talking media even. And I'm so grateful uh, that you, representing the media, 
you, you're getting this, you know, you're, you're not questioning the fact that she's a battered woman having lived with this for 27 years of abuse. Um, so I hope that the judges will read this and I hope the original sentencing judge and the original crown will read these as well, because it's clear they, they haven't, they, they still don't get it. And as a result of they're not getting it, that Helen went to jail, not knowing if she would ever see her dying father again, not knowing if she would ever be able to lift up her little grandkids again. Um, thankfully, those possibilities are closer now because of yesterday's ruling. And it's certainly my hope that the 26,000 plus people who have signed the petition, the hundreds of people who have written letters, Helen has about 80 pen pals who write to her all the time. She has so much support out there. I have never worked on a case where I have seen such universal support. And when you read the petition, what's really striking is the number of women who say, I have been there too. If, you know, there but for the grace of God is me. So this is a pandemic. This is a crisis, right? This is a pandemic of violence against women. Helen is a symbol of that, but she's not the only one, unfortunately. So in looking at her case, hopefully we can have that broader discussion about how do we fund those women's shelters? How do we fund educational programs? And how do we get to the point where we have women in those unfortunate situations where they do not have to take the action that Helen herself took? We've been talking to Matthew Barron's a writer and editor and a longtime social justice community organizer. You can find out more about the work he does, as mentioned, at womenwhochoosetolive.blogspot.com. Matthew, I appreciate your availability on this. Thanks for making time. Thanks so much. You bet. I've been keeping an eye on our live chat, uh, Real Talkers, to see where you're at on this. Uh, Hope says, uh, you know, I mean, she says basically, I mean, and I can't I can't speak for everybody. Certainly people will have different opinions on this. But but Hope says this woman went through hell. Right. I mean, she should be released with time served that from Hope. Where, that's where she's at. Jillian says society is uncomfortable with women fighting back. Women are expected to put up with difficult situations at home, at work. You know, the courts, especially in the U.S., seem to value male lives over female suffering. Joanne says, seriously, you know, you, you, you try suicide and, and, and you try running away, but, but this judge didn't think that she was suffering from battered woman syndrome. Language-wise, that feels like such a strange phrase, battered women syndrome. Uh, I, I just, you know, there's so much learning to do as a society, as individuals, as the courts. We've seen evidence over the past number of years I mean, why do I remember the name of a judge? Why do I remember the name Justice Robin Camp off the top of my head? I don't even have to Google it. I've covered trials. I covered courts as a, as a reporter for years. I don't remember the names of the judges. I remember Justice Robin Camp because he was presiding over a case where he asked the survivor of an attack, the survivor of a sexual assault, why she didn't keep her legs together. We heard that in a courtroom from a judge behind the bench. We know that our judges, our prosecutors, probably our defense lawyers, members of the general public that could serve on juries or otherwise have so much learning to do. And I appreciate advocates like Matthew Behrens for joining us. You can let us know what you think on that. You can send us an email. I suspect we're going to get feedback on this one and talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you want to send it to make sure that we see it. Uh, coming up in just a second, we're going to take a look at the, the psychological 
the mental health impacts of this pandemic on young people. And I'm looking forward to a conversation with Dr. Tyler Black. But first, let me remind you that if, if you're hoping to have your backyard space or maybe it's a beautiful front yard overhaul that you're looking at, if you're looking to have that ready for this summer, you can't sit on your hands. You can't keep hitting snooze until March or April before you reach out to your landscape designer. It's why I'm encouraging you to check out landscapeedmonton.ca right now to get in touch with the team at Eden Landscaping. Mike and his team, they're a full service, one-stop shop. It means they'll consult with you. They're gonna draw up your plans. They're gonna pull all the permits and everything that you need, and then they're gonna build it. You don't have to hire a contractor. You're not gonna have to hire out trades. They're gonna bring your outdoor space to life, and they're not gonna leave until you are satisfied. You can check out their portfolio online, if you get, again, twisted up and you're looking for where where did Jesperson say the website was again? A reminder, all of our sponsors are featured under the sponsors page at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you'll find our friends at Friesen Brothers. For more than 65 years, they've been earning the trust and the return business of Albertans who prioritize good, fresh food. Friesen Brothers does that in a partnership, of course, with many local Alberta producers, chicken, beef, pork, turkey, real Alberta produce. They've got it. You'll find them in 16 different Alberta communities and online at Friesen.com. You'll also find our friends Kubi Energy on that sponsors page on our website. The team at Kubi, you know, operating across Western Canada. I talked to Jake, their CEO from time to time. I say, how are things going? He goes, oh man, we got a big project cooking at, and then he'll just fill in the blanks. Sometimes it's a huge farm application. Sometimes it's a big commercial project that they're working on. Sometimes it's a retrofit of a heritage home that's bringing itself into the 21st century with everything that these sustainable energy infrastructures have to offer. Solar Energy Solutions to power your life. You can get a free quote today online at kubienergy.ca. You can keep the comments coming on our live chat right now. Of course, we'll be keeping an eye on Twitter as well. The hashtag RealTalkRJ and uh, some good conversation happening on YouTube right now. Thank everybody that joins us every morning. Chad wonders with this, this story about Helen Nasland, you know, what if the genders were reversed here? How might the story change? Would a husband face this? Would a husband be subjected to 18 years in prison? Now, keep in mind, obviously, the Court of Appeal cutting that sentence in half yesterday. Uh, Chad, it's not to say that men can't face or men can't uh, endure domestic violence. It does happen. Statistically speaking, uh, it is disproportionately a societal issue that impacts women and children. But of course, men have been subjected to domestic violence. I'd be curious to know. We don't see those types of scenarios as frequently, do we? Uh, I mean, you know, people online, it's it's interesting to see where the comment goes, where many of you are, I think, just trying to sort of make sense of this, right? Like Curtis says, this is just such a sad story. You never really know what's going on behind closed doors. Mark says this is heartbreaking. You know, we have to fix our systems, though, not encourage people to engage in so-called vigilante justice. Uh, Sarah Hoyle's the producer of this show. You and I were talking about this story yesterday, and, and I'm going to be honest. I mean, I was hoping to see my personal opinion on this. I was hoping to see Helen Aslan's sentence reversed, you know, uh, essentially see time served and allow her to go live her life. This wasn't the type of um, situation where her so-called crime did anything to benefit her other than allow her to see another day. 
I mean, court testimony showed that before she pulled the trigger as her husband lay there sleeping before she ended his life, uh, she had been subjected to multiple attacks that week alone. He threw a dinner that she had prepared on the floor, told her it wasn't fit for a dog. He had lashed out to strike her. He'd been impaired the entire time. He was throwing wrenches at her in the home. Finally, she and at least one of her sons had seen enough. Uh, now that we know the verdict yesterday, you and I last spoke before it had been delivered. How are you processing it? I wish that it was reversed and then it was time served. Um, yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think you probably would, it would air with the majority there. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, you can keep, we will keep an eye here on this. Uh, Linda Ray says abusers keep their victim, victims disconnected from the outside world. Uh, every time victims try to help themselves, abuse can get even worse. Uh, the mental, the emotional, the physical, the sexual violence that can come as a result is, is absolutely heartbreaking. Ryan uses that word heartbreaking as well. Many of you are saying this. You know, Deborah says it's hard to believe in 2022 that this is still the conversation that we're happening. Tanya references, a, I mean, obviously a popular film, a pop culture reference here. Tanya says there's a reason why Thelma and Louise, the film, ends like it does. You know, it was a comment on the system as much as anything. Uh, that from Tanya. Um, we're hoping to hear from, uh, we have plans to speak with Dr. Tyler Black, a child psychiatrist. Uh, he's been uh, tweeting about the mental health impacts of this pandemic on young people, and we'll look forward to that conversation um, set to begin in just a little bit. If not, that's perfect. We can reschedule him. It's no worries. We've got a lot to talk about. You know, we look uh, to our email inbox throughout the day, and, and we're so grateful for the time that you all take to get in touch with us, including this one from Kirsty. Uh, Kirsty sent me an email yesterday and said, uh, Ryan, uh, I'm a teacher in a small Alberta community. She says, I know that you've been talking about back to school and you've been addressing these topics uh, a couple of days ago, but I wanted to give you an update from my perspective on how back to school has been. Um, Kirsty says, last night I had a terrible migraine. Come on. She says, I, I think to be, if, I, if I'm being honest with you, I think that it probably has something to do with the stress of going back to school. And uh, she says this morning, she wrote this yesterday, it was persisting worse than ever. So I called in to get a substitute to send a sub into our classroom. Uh, Kirsty says, it turns out there aren't any subs. We were short five of them in the district already, just three days in to our return to school. Uh, you remember for background, depending on where you're listening to us in Canada, this past Monday, January 10th, Alberta and BC sent its kids back to school. Uh, Ontario is doing the same. Many other provinces doing the same next Monday. And so this is a forefront on the minds of, of many, many families. Kirsty says, no, maybe it's just a bad day. You know, maybe I'm reading too much into this. But, but what I do know, one thing I do know is that we don't have uh, this many teachers or subs out uh, because of a conference. <laughs> says, I know that for a fact, certainly not on a Wednesday. Maybe it's actually because exactly what we feared would happen is already happening. Uh, maybe this COVID variant is, is just as infectious as we already knew it was. I don't know. Maybe it's because the government sent us back to school with more questions than answers per usual. Maybe it's because schools aren't, quite frankly, safe right now. Uh, or maybe it's because the masks and the test kits that we were promised for a safe return to school haven't even arrived yet and likely won't until at least next week. Kirsty says, so I bought Tim Horton's gift cards for the two teachers that had to cover my classes with their already busy schedules this morning. Uh, and then I toughed it out 
and I went into work with a throbbing headache and nausea, ready to get sick. She says, now, now I'm teaching in a smaller community. And so prior to this return to school, I frankly wasn't as concerned about COVID-19 here as I would have been had I taught in a much more populous COVID hotspot, despite the fact that I do have asthma. But this Monday, I came back to find out that one of my classes in its entirety had COVID last week. And little by little, I'm losing students to isolation, awaiting their COVID results that I may not find out since there's no necessity to notify close contacts. Knowing this would happen, I tried booking my booster shot last week, and it it turns out we have a shortage where I live, so I won't be able to get one until at least the end of January, uh, by which time I could very well be sick. So I've been trying to look for more rapid tests. I'm eligible for another pack of five now, but of course, we can't find any near me near the moment. Kirstie says, so, so here's where we're at. We have a safe return to school, uh-huh, which involved none of the promised plans, masks, or rapid tests. Uh, those who have COVID symptoms or who know that they're close contacts are expected to take rapid tests, but, you know, who knows? And our students and families aren't eligible for PCR testing anyway. And there's a shortage of boosters in my area. The only fallback we'd have in theory to protect us since we don't have anything else. So if we're sick or on COVID protocol, we don't even have enough staff members to cover absences. What part of this did the government seriously think was better for our students? What part of this was safe? What part of this exactly is a good idea? Uh, Since the beginning of the pandemic as an Alberta teacher, I've had to come up with a lot of answers to difficult questions to try to give some sort of a feeling of reassurance, some sort of a sense of comfort. Uh, This is the first time that I have none of those things. No answers, no reassurances, no comfort. And I sign off as a scared and frustrated teacher. And from Kirstie, who took the time to send us that message, painting a pretty clear picture of where she's at and probably where a lot of others are as well. I wanted to read that email in its entirety to do it justice. If you're feeling that same way or if you're feeling this from a different angle, we'd love for you to be in touch. A big part of what we do on this show is continuing conversations on issues that persist on issues that don't just flare up one day and then disappear the next, as do so many other things in the news cycle. We always want you to feel like you have a voice, you have a platform, and you are heard here on this show. Now, each and every Thursday, our friends at Prairie Catering give us an opportunity to kind of keep an eye on the world around us, on developments, on things people are doing and saying, and every once in a while, something jumps out at us, and, 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 and we're able to issue an invitation for somebody to eat your words. Presented by Prairie Catering. And this week, I just couldn't help myself. I had to. I had to tee up this tweet from a Manitoba politician by the name of John Reyes. You've seen it by now. Everybody in the world has seen it right now. This Manitoba MLA tweeting, even after a 12-hour night shift at the hospital last night, my wife still has the energy to shovel the driveway. God bless her and all of our frontliners. Time to make her some breakfast. He posts a photo of her out there shoveling their big, long driveway. Big, long? Why? What is that? The guy like paved half of the city of Manitoba, half the city of Winnipeg. He's paved half of Manitoba and she's shoveling it all. Well, okay. So I pushed it out from my Twitter account and, and I said, you'd think there's no way this is real, but it sure is. 
uh, from a politician, no less. Absolutely amazing. And here's what so many of you had to say to me. I just picked a few at random. Supermom RN says, yeah, I could hardly wait to come home and shovel heavy snow after being on my feet for 12 hours through the night on zero sleep with patients who are swearing and yelling at me said no nurse ever or what about this one here from tej who says what are the chances breakfast is a bowl of cereal where she has to pour her own milk i think tej might be onto something there how about this one here i love this response this from fiber nerd who says this nurse has shoveled after a 12-hour night shift when my husband's already gone to work and i felt like shit doing it if he took a picture of me after staying up late watching tennis instead of coming out to help the only thing i would be shoveling is his grave that from Fiber Nerd. And I love this one from Timothy, who said, I loved how John Reyes tweeted about having stayed up to watch tennis all night while his wife was working that 12-hour night shift. He's watching TV instead of, oh, I don't know, clearing the driveway for when she comes home. Now, of course, she had something to say about this. Uh, John's wife, Cynthia, took to her Facebook and she said, I'm sorry in advance for this long-winded post, but as most of you know, I just wanted to shovel. Wow, it's been a whirlwind of a weekend. Who would have known that my husband's tweet about me shoveling our driveway after my night shift would have gone viral? She went on to say that we don't have blue jobs and pink jobs and actually like shoveling, but it didn't matter because the tweet had already gone out and well, I mean, it truly went viral. We're talking millions and millions of hits. This from Grape Juice Boys, who have three and a half million followers on Instagram. They just tweeted, bro, help her, laughing their asses off. What about this one here? This was hilarious. I thought so. Uh, this next one from, from Ben McLean, who says, even after a 12-hour shift aboard the Death Star, shooting absolutely everything except her, un her intended target, my wife still has the enter. And he posts a stormtrooper with a snowblower. Loved it. People aren't even referencing John Reyes. The world knew what the joke was about. They didn't even have to reference the initial tweet. Here's another one that made us laugh. This from Dean from Winnipeg, who wondered, can John Reyes send his wife to shovel my sidewalk so Skip the Dishes can bring my breakfast? That from Dean in Winnipeg. This one was pretty funny, too, from Nigel Moore. My wife is still in bed this morning, but the driveway needs to be shoveled. At what point should I say something? Great question from Nigel Moore. This was a good one, too. This one from Matt Ritter says, my wife just finished a 19 hour shift in the ER and now I'm watching her pull our car out of the lake so she can get to her second job as a teacher. I am going to make her a smoothie. I'm so proud of her. That one from Matt Ritter. Pretty good. Pretty good. Must be why hundreds of thousands of people are liking these. Willard Reeves won a Grey Cup with the Blue Bombers, and, and he's now the Manitoba Liberal candidate in the riding that was vacated when Premier Brian Pallister resigned. So this guy's hoping to get attention on his tweet. He said, I'm always amazed, Willard Reeves says, at how hard my wife works. She's a nurse working 18-hour shifts. I'm just grateful she doesn't have to shovel the damn driveway. That from Willard Reeves is a pretty smart move from a political opponent to John Reyes. This was a good one from David Allen Greer. You remember David Allen Greer, hilarious. Says, my girl's seven months pregnant, just got home from working the graveyard shift hall and garbage, came home and chopped two cords of wood. I'm still in bed sleeping. She's the best. That from David Allen Greer. And put it this way, if you're a relatively unknown politician from Manitoba and all of a sudden they're talking about you on The View, like Whoopi Goldberg is talking about you on The View, Canadian man slammed for posting pic of wife shoveling snow and ultimately 
perhaps the high watermark for John Reyes, at least with regards to notoriety, is when TMZ is tweeting about you. A Canadian dude, a government official no less, is getting dragged every which way for giving his wife a public girl for shoveling snow after putting in a hard day as a hospital frontline worker. TMZ, bro! Put it this way. It's great that your wife loves shoveling snow. It's great there's no blue or pink jobs. And it's great that you can stay up all night watching tennis while the snow flies. And she's still going to make sure that you don't have to get snow on your tires when you're backing out to go to work. But here's the thing. Whether or not she's cool with shoveling, it's not cool for you to post the tweet worded like that. I can't imagine the thinking that would lead you to believe that that was going to come across in a positive way politicians god bless them john reyes on behalf of literally millions of people around the world allow me to invite you to eat your words presented by prairie catering Uh, just a reminder the team at prairie catering has been managing these past couple of years in ways that have delivered delicious food and great service regardless of your circumstance you've got an in-person event with 200 people all spread out they can do it you're doing a virtual event where you need home delivery they've got you covered there and don't forget as well they've now got a beautiful brunch at their new restaurant may a stunning venue at the art gallery of alberta you can dine at may check them out online and of course you'll find prairie catering under the sponsors tab on our website ryanjesperson.com Our next guest uh, is here by popular demand. We've had many of you reaching out to us saying, when on earth are you going to get Wyatt Sharp on the show? Now, we're going to welcome him here officially in just a second. You're going to be going, Wyatt Sharp, why do I know that name? Why do I know that name? You're going, well, let me tell you why. Because you, as an audience member of this show, are an engaged citizen, right? You're paying attention to what's going on in the world around you, and that probably involves press availabilities, news availabilities for elected politicians. You've heard Wyatt Sharp calling in to these Q&As, I'm sure. He's also earned himself sit-downs and one-on-ones with Canada's most profile, high-profile politicians, including the Prime Minister, the leader of Canada's official opposition, and several Canadian premiers. Here's a recent outtake, Wyatt Sharp interviewing Aaron O'Toole. Young people and lots of young people have been speaking about it. Uh, the environment, conservatives, and I think some conservatives would even be willing to admit themselves that oftentimes there's um, sometimes people can be skeptical of conservative plans for the environment. But maybe talk a little bit about why your plan is is a good environment plan for Canada. Well, that's great, Wyatt. I've even said conservatives have to rebuild some trust here because our plans in 2015, 2019 didn't meet people's expectations. That's a solid question. Well worded, direct, to the point, no words wasted from the host of the Wyatt Sharp Show. He's 12 years old. He's a political pundit and he's making his debut on Real Talk this morning. It is so good to see you here, my man. Welcome to Real Talk and congratulations on your early success. Thank you. How do you get started? You're 12 years old. I mean, my, 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 you know, when I was 11, a year younger than you, I met a news anchor by the name of Peter Jennings at the Calgary Olympic Games. And I had a chance to talk to him for a few minutes. And, and that's what planted the seed in my brain. You're a year older than that. You've already got your own show. 
you're already interviewing the top political voices in the country. How did this come about? Um, it, it initially just started just from kind of taking an interest in the various things around me. And then, um, and when I say that, I mean, you know, specifically some of the political issues around me. And so um, obviously just kind of realizing that it has an impact on basically everyone, you know, around me and, and around people. So um, that's kind of just how it started. And um, I, I would say it actually kind of initially started when uh, we were kind of in Florida um, about a week before COVID started. And so um, we were getting all these notifications that um, school was going to be closed. Um, you know, they're advising against non-essential travel. And so um, I kind of started taking an interest into, well, who's making these decisions? Um, and so then I looked into it more. And then um, when I got home, and obviously I had a lot more time on my hands, I started researching about, you know, various stuff. And then um, in about June of, of 2020 is when I got my newspaper column in our local newspaper. And so then um, I've been doing that ever since. And then uh, in, in January of this year uh, is when I started my uh, show. And so, um, yeah, I've done around 75 episodes so far. So, uh, yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. People can find uh, the Wyatt Sharp show online. And of course, I mean, you've got your website. People find you on YouTube. People can check out wyattsharp.net. Um, is this something that you always wanted to do? I mean, since you're five, six, seven years old, were you, were you watching interviews? Were you paying attention to the news and to talk shows? I definitely always had an interest in like broadcasting and media, but not like as specifically as, you know, new, the news portion of it and, and kind of the politics portion of it, because, you know, as most of my friends say right now, what's politics or, or why do you care about like no one really it's bad to say, but none of my friends really care about it. And so. Um, and furthermore, there's even some adults, the majority of adults don't, you know, necessarily pay as close attention as some people to, to issues such as this. So, uh, yeah, I would say just bringing the awareness to it. Yeah. I was, I was going to, you know, implore you to not feel so bad or not be embarrassed if a number of your friends aren't very aware politically or otherwise, because I could say the same thing about my friends and I'm 32 years older than you are Wyatt. So, uh, it's important to have shows and, and talk shows like you're doing. I think that, that reach people where they're at, you know what I mean? Do you do you do your show for ten to sixteen year olds? Or I mean, that that question that I just saw you ask Aaron O'Toole, that's a question that adults would want to hear the answer to. Who's your target audience? Um, to be honest, I never like obviously, you know, young people and I hope young people watch it, but um, I just, you know, I, it goes from uh, my grandma and grandpa will watch my episodes and um, sometimes, you know, my, my cousins will watch them. And I, I, that just kind of shows how big of, you know, a gap there are in kind of the age demographics of people who watch my show. I've had people email me saying that how, you know, I had one person email me saying how they sit down and, and watch their show with their grandpa and uh, then I've had um, a journalism professor uh, email me and say that he uh, watches some of my shows with his class. So it kind of just varies, I would say, and uh, based on, you know, who watches my shows. But one thing I do hope is that it it is able to bring awareness to issues specifically to young people so that they can become better informed. Can I ask you about what it's like growing up in your house? Uh, you, you've probably heard all this before, but you're, you're, you're extremely articulate. Uh, you're very insightful. Uh, did you grow up 
you know, around a dinner table where people talked about issues that were important to them, where your parents encouraged you to express how you felt about things, where there are a lot of questions on road trips. What's it like growing up in the Sharp House? No, it wasn't really discussed up until I took an interest in it. And um, even now that I do take an interest in it, it's not, you know, my mom and dad, for example, they are obviously following the work that I do with great interest. But at the same time, it's not really an, an issue super relevant to other people in our house, besides for me, obviously. Um, but I, I would say, you know, people around me have kind of taken an interest in it and um, not because they want to, but kind of because they have to, because it's like basically all I talk about. So, yeah. So, so let me ask you, I mean, do you, are you with regards to the, I mean, I, I want to go behind the curtain here. I want to do the wizard of Oz style and figure out like with regards to you booking your interviews and corresponding with people and getting the videos posted, all of the work that goes in behind the scenes, who's, who's, I mean, I would imagine that you are probably are, are carrying a big part of the load here, but do you have some help? Who's helping you out with this? No, I often joke. I'm kind of the producer host, everything all in one. That's really impressive, Wyatt, because I mean, I, you know, I can tell you and, and you know this, I mean, I've, I've been doing this for a lot of years um, there, you know, for you to be able to put out a polished interview um, there's so much that goes in behind the scenes, including interview prep, right? Obviously, in putting this all together, coordinating it with the schedules of you've got these high profile people where if you get 10 minutes of their time, that's a big deal. Who's really impressed you as an interview subject? It doesn't have to be based on their politics or it doesn't have to be just who really impressed you with the way that they carried themselves? There was a couple. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the obvious ones would be kind of some of the, you know, more relevant people who have higher, you know, name recognition amongst the general population, um, because obviously they can speak to a lot of issues and they're very well informed. But at the same time, there's also people like I interviewed the mayor of Akalawit during the Akalawit water crisis, which is obviously still ongoing and will be for a little while. And um, he was definitely, you know, one someone who you could tell you know, cared about the people that he was representing and, and cared about um, the water crisis, cared about ensuring that, you know, people in his region had access to, to clean drinking water. And then, um, you know, the other thing that sometimes I do is MP panels or MPP panels, which is interesting because it's not just, you know, one person laying out what they feel. It's one person lays out what they feel, but then the other two can kind of critique what they're saying. So um, there's definitely lots of episodes that I've done where the person is able to speak to really meaningful things. And uh, those are some examples of that. That's great. I know you're not going to mind this. This one's a fastball, Wyatt, high and inside. Um, you know, there, there are certain journalists that have endeavored to do interviews with certain politicians. Those politicians will not grant the interviews. I am one of those interviewers and Alberta's premier, my premier, Jason Kenney, won't talk to me. As a matter of fact, he's denied me interviews for a few years now. He doesn't like my opinions and he doesn't like some of the questions that I've asked him in past. I saw that you had an opportunity. You got tapped on the shoulder at a recent media availability to ask a question of Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney. And a lot of people, most people celebrated what you were doing. They said, this Wyatt Sharp guy is really impressive. It's really incredible what he's doing. But a few people took issue with it. They said, we're not sure how we feel about a 12-year-old kid getting access to a premier that won't do interviews with journalists and certain media outlets based on the favorites that he's picked. 
What would you say to those folks that said you should not have access to the premier in that media availability? Yeah, the the people that, um, you know, said I shouldn't have access, it was actually for the education minister. And then I did a separate um, interview with Jason Kenney, actually, for for my show, like a one on one interview. And so um, honestly, people can have their opinions and, you know, people are going to feel one way or the other. And it's kind of just, you know, all part of it. And just, you know, that's it's not really that bad when you consider it compared to you know, some of the other stuff that regular everyday journalists who actually work in Ottawa uh, or, or work wherever they're, you know, corresponding from, um, you know, they'll get emails on a daily basis critiquing their work and sometimes in not the nicest of ways. So um, kind of just accepting it and there's not really much you can do about it. Just people are free to have their own opinions. Can I offer you just a few thoughts of my own? Uh, number one, okay. Never apologize for interviews that you get. Um, <laughs> that you don't have to apologize ever for interviews that you get. Number two, if you were asking puffball questions, right? I mean, if you were if you were granted access to a premier or to a minister of the crown or what have you, and you ask them what their favorite Saturday morning cereal was or their favorite cartoon growing up, then I can see people pushing back. You're asking real legitimate questions. And finally, Wyatt, you are representing an entire age demographic. I mean, you're essentially representing the U18s and issues around education, the environment, budget, tax structure, and everything else you could make the argument is going to impact you and people of your vintage, people of your age group more than anybody else. So I actually quite like the fact that you're representing and getting those questions because you obviously take your craft seriously and you're doing a really admirable job of it. Yeah. And um, to, to touch on that too, that was, that was kind of one of the main reasons, aside from, you know, some people took it with the fact that, um, I'm from Ontario, which I mean, like, it's not like, yeah, I'm from Ontario, but someone went as far as to say that because I'm from Ontario, um, the questions I ask aren't relevant. So, I mean, that was kind of an interesting thing to say that, you know, the topic of questions uh, aren't necessarily relevant. So, again, it's just kind of accepting the what people want to say. And at social media, people can say basically whatever they want. Um, so yeah, I would just, again, accepting it and realizing that, as you mentioned, you know, my age demographic is, is an entire age demographic. Man, you're beyond your years, Wyatt. I mean, you gotta, you know, in this business, sometimes it takes, uh, people a decade or, or it takes people in some circumstances, almost their entire career, uh, to be able to learn how to accept feedback and to see it all around you. You can't avoid it. It's always going to be there hitting you in the face and to be able to take it in a measured sense to process it, but at the same time, still forge ahead with what you're doing. And that's really admirable to have that tool in your toolbox at 12 years of age is unbelievable. Uh, so you're a grade seven student, right? You're from Clarington, Ontario. Are you, are you and your classmates, you're getting set to go back to school on Monday. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they just formally announced it yesterday, the minister of education. So how are you feeling about that? And, and I mean, as you're talking to your friends, how's everybody feeling? Are you excited to go back to class? Where's where's your head at? Oh, yes, for sure. Everyone's very excited to go back to school. Um, and I would say, you know, the situation, some people have concerns with safety and the government's been, you know, they announced yesterday they're providing further rapid tests for people. They've already announced uh, N95s for teachers and educators. So they're, you know, taking measures in many respects. Obviously, some people would like to see more measures here in Ontario, but the majority of 
um, you know, public health experts did call for some of the measures that the Ford government are now implementing. Um, I guess for some people, it's a question of they still would like more. But at the end of the day, I do think that, you know, the majority of uh, students are relieved to go back to school. And obviously, parents do have some safety concerns, but they're also relieved. Why there's there's oftentimes talk. It's one of my favorite conversations to have about the voting age. Some people believe that it should be raised, right? They don't think that 18 years old is old enough or mature enough to chime in on important decisions like who will represent us at different political levels. And then, of course, people argue that the voting age should be lowered. I've seen some people suggest it should be 16, should be 15. Do you have an opinion on that, on what the voting age should be in Canada? Um, I think it's one of those things that you definitely, you know, have have to be careful with in the sense of, you know, it's not a, a light responsibility voting. You have to make sure that um, if we did lower it to the age of 16, like some people want and, and you know, even at the federal level, I believe there was a, a court challenge for it. Um, so just really making sure that um, that the people if, if, if that did happen, that um, people are, are definitely educated on the decisions that that they're making. Uh, this is we've got some questions online here. Uh, this is great from Maggie, who says Wyatt's parents must be so proud. Um, Fatima says this kid better be pulling 100 percent in social studies just on principle. How do you do in school? Can I ask you a personal question? A lot of people, you know, media personalities, you'll find a lot of people with talk shows actually didn't do very well in school. I'm one of them. How about you? Do you get straight A's or are you like a C plus B minus type guy? No, usually I get straight A's with the exception of, I'll say, dance, drama, music. So, aside from those, usually pretty good. You're not excelling in drama. I think you, you, you're you made for the stage. What's going on there? You probably just don't have enough time to dedicate yourself or what? Uh, well, right now in drama, we're doing um, we're doing skits and stuff. So, I'm not necessarily the best actor. Oh, wow. I don't know about that. You're seeing right through politicians. Was there an interview that you've done so far where you saw right through them? where you went, this person's just stringing me along. This person's just giving me canned answers. There is no sincerity here whatsoever. Did you have an interview where you just sniffed them out? Uh, well, to be honest, there's somewhere, you know, there's been, it, it was kind of in, you know, the beginning month of me doing um, my show. And so I, I didn't point it out because I was kind of like nervous about what they would say, as opposed to if it was now, I would obviously probably point it out. But um, it, there was one where, you know, I had uh, someone from the Green Party on my show. And then like a week later, I had someone from the Conservative Party. And this was back when it was just like MPs and such. Um and so uh, the Green Party person had pointed out that oil represents a certain part of our GDP. And then the conservative uh, party person had pointed out that it represents another part of a co completely different number in terms of the, the percentage of GDP that it represents. And then after that, um, I, I thought both of them were wrong. And then after I went back and kind of looked into it and figures they were. So um, that was kind of one. Um, and, and if I had had more certainty, I probably would have pointed it out, but that was definitely one of them. And then there were a couple more examples, but for the most part, people and, and the people I interview are honest and just willing to have conversations about issues that people care about. Good answer, my man. I, I actually dislike when people ask me this next question, but I mean, ask it to you. Who's, ne who's next on your wish list? What's an interview that you really want that you haven't had yet? Um, well, I'd like to, you know, interview some people from, you know, the United States um, to try and, you know, 
kind of grow on my audience listening demographic. Um, so I would say there's obviously lots of people. There's, you know, former presidents, which might be kind of, you know, going pretty big to start off. But um, even just starting out with um, congressional representatives, whether they're in the Senate or the House or um, the former politicians in the United States. So that would be one. Uh, Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand is someone I'd like to talk to. And uh, so she's definitely one. Um, and then there's various other world leaders as well that uh, would be cool to to speak with. And some of them might be more hard to get than others. Well, I'll keep it up. I mean, you know, with as you know, right, it's just like sales. I worked one summer door to door sales and all you need to do is sell at one door on the street. And then as soon as you sell to that house and you get their name, that's Mrs. Jones. And then you go to Mrs. Smith and you say, Mrs. Jones just bought it. And she goes, Mrs. Jones bought it. We'll all buy it. And then you go to the next house and you say, Mrs. Smith bought it because she liked that Mrs. Jones bought it. And then all of a sudden, everybody on the street is buying from you. And that's what you're doing with your interviews, because now you can just casually drop into conversation. You know, when I was chatting with Canada's prime minister, he told me this, and, and then you get the PM down in New Zealand who's going to say, oh my, well, I better talk to this kid because he's obviously getting all the big interviews. And then the next thing you know, they're going to start coming to you. Do you see yourself 10 years from now doing this, 20 years from now doing this? Or is there maybe a career in executive leadership or, or maybe even a career in politics for you? What are you thinking right now? Um, I would say somewhere that, you know, I'm able to talk about the issues that, you know, people care about, whether it's, you know, journalism or whether it's actually a politician speaking to um, the issues that people care about. But I would say as of right now, journalism is it would be more of something that I would you know want to consider. But again, I'm only 12. So, yeah. Why do you have siblings? <laughs> no, I don't. You don't. OK, I was going to I was going to ask if there were some. There would be. I already know the answer. There would be jealousy issues in the house. Your sibling, they wouldn't be able to stand you because you're you'd be the bright shining star. They would they would they would not be able to live up to their brother Wyatt, and they wouldn't be able to do anything about it. And so so there you go. Well, listen, man. Uh, I'm I'm really. I mean, this is my first time ever talking to you, but we've been keeping an eye on the work that you've been doing, and it's really impressive. Um, can I show you a photo that I posted on my Instagram? This is just a couple of days ago. Um, Wyatt, I love your name so much. We named our son Wyatt and I'm working from home right now. This is just part of the pandemic. And I, and I popped around the corner the other day and, and look what I found. I saw our Wyatt. He's six uh, and he was sitting at our makeshift podcast studio station and he was playing podcast. He was reading comments off the laptops and he was keeping an eye and scrolling on the screen. And my heart was so full and it was not lost on me that I knew that I was going to be talking to another Wyatt who was doing it for real, uh, just six years older than my Wyatt. And it painted such a clear perspective of really how remarkable it is what you're doing at this stage in your career. I'd want to treat you like a kid, though, because you've already earned the respect of adults and professionals in this field. I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. And we're going to be watching with a keen eye to see what's next for you and your show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and uh, watch out. I think I think your son might try and take your job soon. Yeah, well, I mean, you people would argue that he'd probably be better at it. So what I'm going to do on the entrepreneurial side is I'm going to send contract overs to you and him, and I'll see if we can get both of you under our corporate banner. Maybe we could do something together, Wyatt. I don't know. Or maybe you should go at this alone. It doesn't seem like you need any help at this point. Wyatt Sharp, keep up the great work, my man. Thanks for doing this interview. Thank you. Bye now. You got it. Wow. That is an impressive young man.
Uh, I mean, I, yeah, he is. He's a kid. He's an impressive kid. But look, I mean, are you kidding me to be able to put into words the way that he does what drives him and why he does it and where he hopes to go with this? That is absolutely impressive stuff. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want me to let you know that the Real Talk deal of the month this month is a buy one, get one free special. We're talking about dilly bars. We're talking about DQ ice cream sandwiches. These are the take-home treats that Dairy Queen has made famous. So if you're anywhere in the neighborhood of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road, we encourage you to swing on by your local DQ and pick up Stock up the freezer, why not, with Dilly Bars and DQ ice cream sandwiches. Also wanted to let you know that our friends at Jet Set Parking have a deal in place. And as a matter of fact, it just got a little bit better midweek. That's right. I told you earlier this week that if you went online to jetsetparking.com and used the promo code REALTALK to book your parking at Edmonton International Airport by the end of 2022, that you were going to be able to park for $8 a day. Well, Paige and the team there got in touch and said, hey, guess what? They said, we're going to knock that down to seven bucks a day right now. $7 a day to park your vehicle at EIA in Jet Set Parking. You can go online right now, jetsetparking.com. Make sure you use the promo code REALTALK. Our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, I'm going to be seeing them later today. It's always such a pleasure to deal with their teams, not just obviously on the sales side, but the service side as well. I was telling you, I'm, I'm dealing with the body shop right now. We had an up-close and personal encounter with somebody on these slippery streets. No matter, the team at Sherwood Dodge is handling this one for me and it's never been easier. They take pride in their relationships and they're proud of the return business and referrals that they see. You can browse their selection of Jeeps, the most trusted SUV brand since 1941, and of course, their lineup of Dodge Ram trucks, including the wildly popular Ram 1500. You can browse those inventories online anytime. Again, just under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Now, we've got a big show in store coming up tomorrow. I can't believe that it's Friday already. We've got a lot going on, and we want to make sure that you have a chance to get in your trash talk to us. So make sure you take the time to send us an email. Uh, ryanjesperson.com is where you find it. Just look for the contact link. Thanks to everybody who took the time to chime in today on the show. If somebody you know needs to hear this interview, make sure you share it. We can't thank you enough. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me. Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.